0: Cannabis is a gateway drug. To me, it's been a gateway to success. It's been a gateway to pain relief. <laughs> it's been a gateway to economic impact. It's been a gateway to creating over 300 highly paid jobs. It's been a gateway to eco- economic boom to cities like Santa Ana. So, yeah, it is a gateway drug. I'm embracing that.
1: Welcome to The Catch-Up. Introducing your hosts. Eli A. Editor in And... Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously. Of the craziest, most bestest,
0: news-breaking, food-porn
1: peddling, viral website on the
0: dot-coms,
1: Food Feast. It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy. There's not one person in this entire world that believes you.
2: Oh, All right. And welcome to the catch-up. ketchup. Yeah, it's going to be a hot week. We are joined by Amy and Derek, their husband and wife team, co-founders of Bloom Dispensaries, and they run a parent company, Terra Tech which not only owns Bloom, they own farms. And under that portfolio, they have like a a quote-unquote legitimate edible (laughs) garden brand, and they distribute leafy greens and herbs to thousands of stores across the country, like Walmart and Kroger. But most importantly, they run a publicly traded cannabis company, which means (laughs) Jeff and I have a ton of questions for you two. Welcome to the podcast.
3: Thank you. Thanks Thanks for having us.
2: Appreciate it. Jeff? Jeff? You don't get high that often, do you?
1: I do not. I do not at all. Uh, church boy growing up, never did anything in high school or college. Uh, but there ha- I could probably count on the two hands the, the amount of times I've <clears throat> ingested or smoked of some kind. So, but I'm generally interested about it. So I don't have any uh, specific predispositions about it. I don't feel negative about it, and in fact have had fun. But I think I probably represent a decent amount of the food beast population where we're casually curious but don't have a ton of experience don't know the lingo don't know the processes don't know pretty much anything outside of i've had adipals a couple of times and they sent me to the deep outer space and that's (laughs) and that's it like that's that's Tell me about that marshmallow concert you went to. Yeah, so I went to a marshmallow concert for a friend's birthday. Obviously, I think a lot of people have had the same story. They get handed something. It's party time. Let's do it. And we My girlfriend and I were debilitated in line. We we are sitting in line. We enter the concert and we just can't do anything. We we literally have to leave the concert to sit at the convention center. What did you
2: guys have? What did you eat or consume?
1: We had we had some sort of some sort of gummy okay um and i think that's the story we hear constantly which is also why i specifically wanted to talk on the podcast about it because my lack of education puts me into those situations and whether that's social pressure or whether that's just not knowing enough in the moment uh i think there's a lot of questions that i specifically have with such an emerging industry and obviously a a lot of people at food beast experience various amounts of, we've gone to weed dinners, we get sent CBD and THD pro, uh, products a decent amount, um, or not sent, given, I guess, because of yeah, the, the We don't know the, how they the show nature. up, they just show up. <laughs> they just show up. <laughs> um, and so yeah, there's, there's I think a lot of questions for my side and I know Eli, you are probably one step ahead of me in relation to.
2: Yeah, I don't smoke a ton. Um, and now that it's legal, I've seen both myself and a lot of my friends who had reservations before. We're here. We're recording in California, by the way. And uh, now that it's legal, it's kind of opened up the doors to try a lot more. And I think what, I, what I'd love to talk to you guys about is how important is kind of California having legal adult usage? Like, how's that changed the business? What's new? Let's just get into it. For you guys,
0: yeah, I'll, I'll kind of open up from that standpoint. I mean, California is a trendsetter for a lot of different things. I think we can all admit that, from music to to food to clothing, et cetera, and so forth. And I think we're going to see the same thing coming from the cannabis industry. If you look at the Emerald Triangle, of Northern California, that's somewhat the birth center of of cannabis cultivation. And you know, in the black market, gray market days most of that product or tremendous amount of that product was migrating east right so if you were getting weed in in Minnesota or Nebraska or somewhere like that at the end of the day there was a high probability that was coming from California and so as the industry matures like it is today we're seeing a lot of the brand development and the genesis of that starting to California to start to migrate its way east. The trends, the processes, the mediums in which people are consuming, which are now becoming a tremendous amount of consumables and food based items. So those types of things are starting to migrate their way east. And we think that trend is going to continue in the foreseeable future.
2: That's killer. I mean, to, to go back a little bit, how did you guys one? How did you guys meet? And, and tell me about TerraTech and kind of the founding days when it started and how did it even come to be? Well, you should probably take the how we met portion of the conversation. <laughs> no, good. We,
3: we did just determine it was in two thousand six. Um, very you, sure? you know serendipitous. Just met at a bar the old-fashioned way. We're a little we're a little old for Tinder and all these new things that we have now. Um, and I was an interior designer. Derek was working in finance and. A couple years went by, and there were some some interesting things happening in finance in 2008. <laughs>
2: <laughs> For our young followers, what does that mean?
0: <laughs> things were bad. <laughs> She's not staging this properly. But the reality of it is, I'm going to cut you off because you know I, I do that quite a bit, is she walked into the bar, and I was standing at the bar, and there was this light that was almost kind of <laughs> illuminating me at the bar, and she was so captivated, she came up and, and asked to buy me a drink and i succumbed to her beauty <laughs> at that point in time and then the rest just took care of itself that's that's the honest answer
1: and when did you guys realize there was an opportunity in the specific industry that you're in and and took what I'm assuming is a pretty big leap, right? Coming from those those two backgrounds aren't affiliated, they aren't loosely connected, um, and now you're deep in it. So when was when was the realization of that opportunity and, and well, where it led? Well, let, let me let me tell the
0: epiphany I had, and then okay. you can. I, I would still like to actually hear what your what truly went through your head. Okay. When I came home one day, I went. I'm sick of Wall Street. The credit crisis; everything's melted down. I worked at Wachovia at the time, and that was obviously one of the casualties. And I, I literally walked into work knowing that we were basically out of business one day. And I remember there was a broker that walked around and started handing out Xanaxes to everybody, and nobody was nobody was saying a word. We were all just looking at our screens: "Is this really happening to our world right now?" Um, from from uh, from that standpoint, and so it was. Beyond cathartic in terms of what was taking place, and I had wanted to do something on my own, and it was interesting. There was a there was a documentary that came out at the time, Marijuana Inc. on CNBC. It was their highest view documentary, I think, still to date, oddly enough. And I I started to kind of analyze that space with my investment banking hat and the numbers from a same store sales perspective, a, a revenue per square foot perspective. They were doing more revenue out of these dispensaries than Apple Computer was doing out of their stores. And I went home to Amy and said sweetheart i know we're making a great living i know i just spent a decade building up my career on finance we have every perk and comfort that most people would want at the end of the day but i'm gonna sell weed
3: (laughs) with a guy i met on the internet you left out a key component and my response was you just can't sell drugs with a stranger you met online (laughs) solid advice i think
1: but then you did then I
0: did but she was right about the guy he was terrible we got rid of him early on holy cow okay so then so then um, like the Beverly Hillbillies we packed up all our can I cuss yeah go yeah, ahead we packed up all thank you I, I, I rarely ask for permission I, we packed up all our shit and moved to NorCal And uh, literally, we were driving in a U-Haul with our car behind and uh, headed up to NorCal to build out because that was kind of the epicenter at the time. Dogs
3: on my lap. And, you know, I I think, though, the reason that I was able to be convinced was I really saw the value of cannabis medically. It was medical at that time because about six months after we met, Derek fractured a vertebrae in his neck surfing. And that was uh, really scary, obviously, for both of us. He's extremely lucky lucky he can walk. But there's a lot of residual pain and back issues and bulging discs and things that go with that. And as a wife, I one of the biggest things I would thank Derek for is he never took opiates. And he knew, you know, these, these are not good. And so we started using cannabis medically to treat his pain. And so it was a little bit of an easier sell to me because I had seen firsthand the benefit and you know, a natural alternative to a very dangerous painkiller.
0: And interestingly enough, when I broke my neck, I obviously went to the hospital, as you can imagine. And uh, they put me on this drug called Dilaudid. And I don't know if you've heard of Dilaudid. My understanding is it's more powerful than heroin. It is heaven. It is one of the best feelings that I ever had. And they give you that little clicker. And, you know, 30 minutes before you're allowed to click it again, you get filled with rage and anger just waiting for that (laughs) clock to tick down. And... When I got back from the hospital and, and they weaned off of that, I, I think I was one of the worst experiences Nuts. I had in my life with, with withdrawals, shakes, night sweats, panic attacks, anxiety. I, I couldn't believe what I was going through coming off that drug. And I had smoked weed when I, since I was 15 years old from recreational purposes. And obviously people were talking about the medicinal value at that time. And I always thought that was somewhat tongue in cheek, as I think a lot of people still do today for all practical purposes. But that's when I really started to truly, truly understand the medical value associated with this plant. And that's where it had a tremendous amount of impact for me and still does today to deal with the pain and the residual issues that I have from cracking my neck. So. You know, for people that still question the medical value of it, you know, and I know it's anecdotal nev- evidence that it's basic, but it's made a, a huge change in my life from a from a ability to kind of go out into the world and do what I do without having to sit there and take oxys all day.
2: That's huge. I'm glad you did that instead of getting on those drugs. because I've heard horror stories. People get addicted. You can't get off. And then inevitably, like close family members of mine pass away <laughs> from. The overdose. The same thing that happens with heroin happens with prescription drugs all the time. It's terrifying. So you guys are up in NorCal at this point. Everything you own is in your car. (laughs) I mean, you guys were you had you had good times before. I mean, you uh, and so what happens next? Because a lot of our we've had a lot of questions come in when people knew that you guys were going to be on, and people are really excited about the entrepreneurial pursuits in the cannabis industry, and but there's a lot of, of snags that go into it. It's, it's way more challenging than you think. There's a lot of regulations. I'd love to just hear about like really early stages now. Like what happens next? What do you buy first? What do you get into first that eventually becomes TerraTech?
3: So I have a great story for my introduction into quasi legal cannabis. So, you know, I, I went into this with some trepidation. But like I said, because of Derek's injury and stuff, I was open minded. So the first time that Derek is about to take me to a dispensary to vend product, he he had gone up to NorCal and brought back a bunch of pounds. And he's convincing me how great and how legit this industry is. And you just wait until you see the shops and it's, it's going to be amazing. So he arranged is a, a, a delivery to a, to a dispensary, it's not uncommon for them to be in weird areas at this point. So we're driving down this dark, super sketchy alley in the San Fernando Valley. and it, But it didn't seem too weird at the time. We get out of the car with our product, surrounded by five to five. six yeah. gangbangers, all with guns drawn, oh, pointed shoot. straight at us. They, they flanked us on every side. And Derek just hands over the pounds there was nothing we could do and we just we walked away unfortunately they didn't take my wedding ring or my purse or anything else and that was my first experience working you know. in legal cannabis and I looked at him like uh I think we made a mistake
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking take that Zuckerberg You can
4: start Facebook as well.
2: <laughs> how do they know I mean you guys are pulling into it you're going to a shop to sell your product um there and, are, uh, are there not, signs
0: not so much today but there's a tremendous amount of robbery that has taken place with people scoping out retail dispensary locations mm. because they know it's a cash based business and there's still no banking allowed at the end of the day so When vendors come in, they've they've begun to learn what a vendor looks like and it looks like guys like us carrying a backpack. And they know when they go into a dispensary, they're carrying product and they know when they come out, they probably have bundles of cash. And so they were easy targets. They weren't robbing the dispensaries as much because of the security and the cameras and the oversight and that type of thing. But watching the flows in and out was a great opportunity for people to come in and grab people on the come and go. And that's that's been a challenging part of the industry, which we're developing out of with the new regulation and armored car services and that type of thing as the industry matures. But back in the day, with 20 years worth of legalization in California, it was very mom and pop and very cottage in nature. And these people, we called the police that night and they laughed at they us. They
2: laughed.
4: <laughs> what was the call? Hey, we
2: were trying to sell you
0: know, drugs, and <laughs> we got robbed. like, go fuck yourself.
4: <laughs> That's <laughs> exactly how it went. That,
0: that, I can't summarize it any better. That was great. And we looked at each other, and this is when I knew I had a ride or die wife. I looked at her and I said, babe, I said, this isn't going to be easy, but we're not going to let this push us down at the end of the day. And let's make you know the best out of the situation. And so we went over to an Italian restaurant, had a wonderful dinner, cracked open a bottle of wine, and and had a nice date night. So that's how we handle I shit when we it hits us.
3: I think we've like, yeah. first robbing at gunpoint. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it probably won't be the last. We're
0: official drug dealers now. <laughs> what a badass couple. So, that's a lot of fun. It was tough, man. I mean, I... I we we would have conversation for hours for everything that we had been through. But my general thing that I say to people when you know, for any entrepreneur in this space, the space, the the shit that we do on a daily basis is so much more challenging. And, and, and you guys are entrepreneurs, and no offense to to the two of you, but the things that average people take for granted um, in in starting their businesses, like banking. you know, <laughs> banking you know, that, that's a side thing. How about office space? Sure. Right. How about getting turned mm-hmm. down for nine months just trying to find office space for your admin side of the, the business, not the operational side of the business. So those are the types of things that should be very quick things to navigate through that turn into an extraordinary amount of time, effort, and energy. That extraordinary amount of time, effort, and energy comes at a cost, right? That comes at a cost to building the business, to marketing the business, to meeting with buyers, to meeting with sellers, to developing our you know protocols and our culture and that type of thing. And that's what's the most frustrating. And, and we've given the uh, there's two analogies I love to give. Being being an entrepreneur in the space is like running uphill on ice. And because there's zero roadmap. Like there are for other businesses, zero roadmap for how we conduct ourselves in this space. I give the other analogy of it's like jumping out of a plane and figuring out how to build a parachute on the way down.
2: Does it feel like at any time, because we're going to get into how you guys became a publicly traded company and so forth, but do you feel, do you wake up every day knowing the whole business can be pulled out from under you? Like do you you have those fever dreams? Did they ever go away? I'm curious if you have those. I, I, I don't have those as much
0: anymore. Okay. I did. I certainly did have that in 2010, 11, 12 and part of 2013 and you know, 10, 11 and 12, Melinda Haig was, you know, they were kicking indoors. And they were arresting people, offering compliant dispensaries. And I know people that are still in prison for 10 year sentences doing the same thing that everybody's profiting off of today. And. And that's something that just needs to be addressed as legalization becomes a topic that's talked about is, oh, great, you know, open up the economic opportunities for these municipalities from a tax collection standpoint, open up the opportunities for Wall Street to fund, open up the opportunities for entrepreneurs to build their business, but let's not let the people rot in jail who are doing the very same thing that all these people are profiting off of right now. Again, whole other conversation, but that's that's an impropriety that exists in the space right now that needs some significant attention to correct in the, on a go-forward basis.
1: Yeah. when was when was that robbery specifically and then what is the innovation within the space and your progress as a company now um, in comparison because I, I don't know when that was but we almost it feels like just from a tonal perspective we're talking about a then and now yeah so what is that then and now and uh, especially as it relates to uh, a lot of the consumable products that I think our audiences will definitely be interested in
3: so that was 2010. And um, from an interesting perspective of you know Derek saying that we do as an industry get to shape something brand new with no roadmap, that's a, a can also be a positive. Um, So 2010, dispensaries would get raided, shut down, so nobody put any effort into designing the stores or making them look Mm. nice. It was just very like, set up shop, throw out some mason jars and hope we don't get arrested today. Um, You would go into a dispensary and you'd see a brownie sitting there in a Ziploc bag that probably had cat hair in it. I, <laughs> I don't know.
0: At the very best had cat hair.
3: Uh, yeah, so our stores in Vegas, most most of the reviews where people love our stores, they say it looks like a jewelry store. You know, we have Ansax Tile. We have marble countertops, Tom Dixon copper lighting. It's beautiful. So it, it's really matured in a very quick Time frame. And I also brought some stuff to show you guys today to show you, you know, from the Ziploc baggy brownie, we're currently seeing products that look like something out of a Whole Foods or mm. anthropology. The packaging is beautiful. There's so much detail and thought that goes into every aspect of their marketing and their branding. And some of these companies are just knocking the ball out of the park. The flavors are incredible. Um, you know, we were having a little conver- side conversation prior to this that we'd love a package with 10 milligrams and you can eat an entire bag of cookies where, you know, that didn't exist 10 years ago. It was just, I want to get as high as I can in the smallest time frame on this one brownie. Um, so it's really become a little bit more of just a normal part of life like wine.
0: It's, it's, I said this back in, I want to say it was 2013 that I thought the the, best bedfellow for our industry is, as much as the products are contrasted with one another would be the alcohol industry. And the reason that I said that is because they're entirely two different animals at the end of the day, but they share the same history of prohibition. They're regulated differently at state-by-state levels from you know a manufacturing and distribution standpoint. But they're marketed in very similar manners, right? If you think of Corona, for example, if I drink a Corona, what does that make me feel like? It makes me feel like I'm in Cabo on the beach, relaxing, right? So they've they've done this lifestyle branding, and I feel smart, you know, when I'm on an Apple computer, you know, they, it's just the lifestyle branding aspect of things. So the alcohol industry has kind of paved the way, and now you're seeing, you know, them starting to go, "Wow, what's our growth narrative for the future?" looks like cannabis is going to be and we saw the four billion dollar investment from constellation brands the owner of corona brands into canopy growth in the canadian marketplace and we're seeing that interest in cash flow going to canada right now mainly because it's federally legal there and it's not here we still have the dichotomy between state and federal law and the repercussions of that is the big companies are staying out of the way because they don't want to breach federal law the positive of that is it creates an incubated environment for people like us to have a chance to build our brands and to build our market share without having the big guys come in immediately but we know that they're on their way and i i don't see that as a bad thing i see that as a good thing because they come with a tremendous amount of experience uh sops traditional business capital and lobbying to help push this uh this legalization effort across the finish line so
2: you see it as a potential blessing that the federal regulations aren't completely there for us here in the states because i i I was thinking that the federal regulations are like kind of stunting the progress we're getting on the innovation of product. Because it's like, well, if you if you have some money to spend and you can't and you're trying to innovate in the cannabis space, like because, you know, your product can't be nationwide. It's like you're not going to put in the same amount of money. This the regulations are all over the place. You can't market it the way you market any other product. I mean, even alcohol to this day, it still runs into like marketing practice issues online, trying to use Facebook, Twitter, whatever to reach people. You got to target 21 plus, you got to target whatever. And so and d- that's
1: state by state versus yeah, municipality yeah. by municipality right dependent on what the whatever the local government says about advertising in that specific area. I was at a conference for in LA and they you know the LA body of regulation um, related to marijuana has a five-page advertising PDF that yeah. you have to follow just for the city jurisdictions, potentially parts of the county. That, to me, is the most confusing part. And not not to interrupt you, Eli, but those are the obstacles that is on top of just the state and federal regulation that we're talking about, the alcohol comparison, right? It's all those, how can I target, if anything, this ad to yep. this area for versus sure. The city next door that might be five miles in distance. Right? This shit's so
2: wild.
0: Like I it's, can't imagine. It J- J- Jeff, it's it that that um it, it's a double-edged sword. That's the best way I can put it, right? I mean, if that if that dichotomy didn't exist, I wouldn't be here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It'd be mm-hmm. one of the biggies in here developing the, the 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 industry from the ground up that that are capitalized to be able to do that, et cetera, and so forth. So. The headwinds that come along with that are the difficulty with banking, the difficulty you know, getting office space, the finding people that are willing to do business with you from attorneys to CPAs, to the heavy regulation. So the so the cost of regul the cost of legalization right now is regulation, right? Cities and jurisdictions are stepping up and figuring out how they can tax and control, and it's and it's different across the board. So Nevada, the state of Nevada has blanket regulations, but then Clark County has another set of regulations mm-hmm. that involve advertising and things of that nature. And then even the city of Las Vegas, which is Additional carve out in the Las Vegas area, they have another set of rules and regulations on top of that. So the regulatory hurdles and burdens are significant. But again, the 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 only other alternative would have been broad states' rights legalization, and then none of us would have had a chance to build the scope and scale that we have today. Yeah, from my Budweiser just makes
2: it. Yeah, so exactly. Cool. exactly.
1: So, and real quick, when I was listening to advertising executives talk about it, they also said because of the restrictions on advertising, you see a lot of focus on packaging and you see a mm-hmm. lot of focus on the things that they can control. And so you're seeing a lot of design innovation, uh, uh, flavor innovation, Amy, like you were talking about, mm-hmm. because that's what you can control, right? That's what you can focus on. And when you, get, and you have a customer experience, you can focus on that experience being the best as it can be. And you're right, looking at the products in front of us, that feels like something I'd see at Sprouts, that feels like something I'd see at Whole Foods. So I think there's lots of innovation just from off the cuff, looking at packaging right now. Yeah, and I,
3: mean, I think it's gonna it's gonna wind up sort of forcing some measure of figuring out a cohesive, you know, version of those regulations. You know, alcohol has that, but you know, one one instance we had a, somebody wear a hat, a bloom hat, from Nevada. From a, at a poker tournament, and it was broadcast on ESPN national advertising. Um, the state of Nevada got really upset about this, and um, and it's it's a little challenging because wh- where's that gray area? Nevada doesn't have. The right to tell me that i can't nationally advertise so then how do you separate that if it's espn it's broadcast everywhere i can't carve out nevada but at the same time they can't really tie our hands from you know when we have multi-state operations from advertising nationally
2: yeah, i mean those are <clears throat> digital countries like you can't yeah. work. i mean from tv to facebook to instagram to twitter i mean those are those are countries, if you think about them digitally, that you guys essentially don't have the right to use just yet. I mean, properly. There's so many there's so many handcuffs and using social media to promote any sort of cannabis that it feels like, damn, do I even is it worth it for me to invest there? And then your whole Instagram account gets shut down. Yeah. I've heard horror stories of like you follow all <laughs> what you thought all the regulations were in place. Yeah. I don't advertise where my dispensary is, any of that, and then it still gets shut down because of an arbitrary catch-all yep. that these social media networks have to put in place. They kind of lump you guys in with kind of cryptocurrency right now sure. and what's going on.
0: And anyway, what's amazing about that is look at the growth of the industry with sure. all those headwinds. Can you imagine what it's going to be when we have open runway?
2: Yeah. No, that's insane. I want to go back real quick to 2010. You guys got robbed. I want to where where is Bloom? Where is TerraTech in this? Like, is it a company yet? Or are you guys just picking up weed from a farm and then dropping it off? So
0: (laughs) so uh, I'll take you through the broad overview of the company's genesis. So when we first started the company at that time, I got permission from Amy to jump into the space, but not immediate position permission to start you know, opening up dispensaries and that type of thing because we wanted to see what the federal climate shift was. So we, we began the company's origin as, as an equipment company. So we manufactured lighting equipment, filtration equipment, uh, cultivation equipment, and that type of thing that growers would need. So our our way to monetize the growth was to kind of be the Sears roebuck of, of the space mm. at the timeframe and our entree into that because of these the raids that were taking place if you look back you can find some old things on Google you know search uh, our old name of the company was grow Op technology and we have these things called the big bud and what we did is we took uh, giant uh, 18-wheeler reefer containers and built these mobile grow units in them. So they look like you know a reefer container from outside, which you see everywhere, but you plug into it like an RV and you've got a facility that can grow 16 flower lights, a whole veg area, full automated cultivation facilities. We got featured on National Geographic documentaries. We made national news with this. It was pretty incredible. And we sold a ton of these things at the Genesis. What then happened was we started to progress to some measure of normalization of in the industry and the risks begin to mitigate Obama and Eric Holder and had the coal Memo come out and that type of thing. When that shift began to happen, we started competing for some permits. Oakland, as you may or may not know, was the first merit-based application process in the entire United States. We applied for that and there were hundreds of people that were showing up to the city council that were going to apply. Just prior to dropping off the applications, there were some huge raids from Melinda Hague's office up in Northern California. Everybody got spooked, so I think you know not as many people went after these permits. We ended up applying. We got the we came in, and scored number one. We were the first permittee for for the first merit based application system in the entire country and we began to open up our first location bloom up in downtown oakland and from there we still wanted the hedge so we graduated from there we've we actually bought an agricultural farm so back in new jersey we have a two hundred fifty thousand square feet of dutch style greenhouse wow. fully automated where we grow leafy greens and herbs and lettuces and that type of thing as a backup but also as you know kind of a synergistic symbiotic you know uh, entity of the company that would ultimately grow cannabis downstream, which we're applying in Jersey right now as we speak, we're putting our applications together to help potentially utilize those facilities. So our first entree was equipment, then into our first retail dispensary, and then fast forward to today, we've got retail shops in Nevada, in California, we've got cultivation extraction facilities in California and Nevada, and we're expanding hopefully back to, to the New Jersey marketplace with a new round of permitting that's opening up.
2: So that's how it all started, you guys, essentially it was kind of a legitimate business, quote unquote, no offense. Uh, <laughs> but you guys were, did you see like, oh shit, this is the safest way in. If we create technology, there's nothing illegal about creating farm equipment and creating these like innovative products that we're not, there's nothing illegal here. Was that kind of an initial sentiment up front? Or? That's what I sold to Amy. So okay. that's,
1: that's <laughs> a great <narrative.
2: laughs> yeah. Oh man. Okay. So that, great. That's how it started.
1: Um, so that's vertical integration, right? I ap- mean, that's. Absolutely. That's, so th- it's going from a supplier to a supplier to cultivator to to retail right that's we're con- controlling as many aspects of the business as we can so <clears throat> high times
2: I, called you guys sorry the jeff the the closest thing to a starbucks in the dispensary <laughs> world which is cool sorry I think that that kind of speaks to your vertical yeah. integration yep. or uh, i mean i don't know if
1: starbucks well then how impo- like how important on the retail side of things it Uh, Well, how important is retail to TerraTech now um, in comparison to the other uh, playgrounds in which you play? Uh, And where is that going?
3: So, retail is our largest revenue generator, obviously, so that's really a key component of the business. And... And one challenge that we face when we're talking about, you know, this market being kind of compartmentalized, for instance, in Orange County, Santa Ana is the only city who has allowed dispensaries. So we're competing with a lot of shops that are in extremely close proximity. Most of us have the same product offerings because we only have so much to choose from. So that's where the vertical integration really comes in to help us, is that we'll be able to have a a better profit margin, we'll be able to develop our own brands and everything as soon as, you know, our, our seeds are. Big, beautiful buds. <laughs> and,
0: and, and the funny thing is, is, is if you think about cannabis, a lot of people are like, oh, are we had some sort of a bubble. There's so much talk about this and there's proliferation everywhere. If you think about alcohol, I can get alcohol almost everywhere liquor stores, restaurants, theme parks, nightclubs, day clubs, bars, you name it. Cannabis, you're really only able to get that for all practical purposes through brick and mortar retail dispensaries, which is your equivalent of a liquor store. So you talk about the ability to open up avenues for mass distribution in the future. Ultimately, this product's going to be everywhere. You're going to be walking into a restaurant and do you want the THC infused uh, champagne or do you want the alcohol product or whatever it happens to be? There's going to be choices for people at the retail level, but not only in these brick and mortar dispensaries. So to me, we have a huge upside, but retail is extremely important right now because that's the consumer facing facility that 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 can demystify the products today for consumers, there's no other avenue for them to be able to do that besides learning about it online. But from an experiential standpoint, the retail dispensaries are the anchor for at least right now. And I think over time, we will see online distribution, we'll see the uh, Amazon type models take place, and delivery services are now starting to get and uh, maintain traction in, in heavily populated density areas and that type of thing. But retail is really important because that's the avenue for which we show our products to consumers and we dismiss, demystify the experience to consumers.
1: And and you specifically said our products which a big part of that vertical integration that we missed is from cultivation to retail you guys are also developing specific products for retail that I'm assuming that can not only be in your stores but within other stores I mean I'm assuming if I was building a product that would be my plan I'm not sure if that is but can you go into more detail about the products that you guys are developing uh, the branding of those products, the categories of those products, uh, because I know we have even some of them uh, on the, table right, on the table right now. Jeff, you should take um, a sip, dude. I'll take a sip. I'll Here take we a go. sip. i have it. It's, it's already poured. Oh, already I'm poured. ready to go. All right. I'm Get ready it. to go. It, 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 while you're
0: doing that, why don't I run you through some of the products, and I'd love, Amy, for you to talk about, you know, if if it weren't for people like you, these products would still be maintained in Ziploc bags, right? So, So consumables are becoming the ever-growing portion of the marketplace. So concentrates and consumables are rising almost on a quarter-by-quarter quarter basis and smokable flour and those types of things are are starting to migrate back down, and, and, which is a good thing, right? Because there's a lot of people that want to try it, but they don't want to smoke. They don't want to smoke a blunt. They don't want to smoke a, a, a pre-roll or anything like that. They want another mechanism to get that those cannabinoids either for medical purposes or for recreational purposes. So cannabis today is in everything from peanut butter, to honey, to ice cream, to pasta sauces, to gummies, you name it, if there's a medium, somebody's infusing cannabinoids into it. And for example, we're developing an entire beverage line because we think beverages are the way of the future. People are already accustomed to drinking alcohol for social lubricant purposes. Imagine having something that doesn't have the calorie intake. It doesn't have the the detrimental effect on your body and no hangover. The side effect is munchies, which is a whole other conversation. It's probably <laughs> yeah. probably most of your uh, <laughs> most of your listeners can can relate to, but. We're developing a, you know, a sparkling uh, a kind of a wine product without without any alcohol in mm-hmm. it, a hard cider, a hard lemonade, a margarita mix, a sparkling water, all these types of different vehicles to distribute the products to consumer bases. And then we have departments that, you know, Amy runs the marketing department for us now. And, you know, her job is to figure out how to develop a lifestyle mm-hmm. brand around this, how to get into consumers' hands, how to demystify it, and how to make it pretty ultimately.
2: How challenging is that, Amy? Because like that's. That's key right now. If my mom listens to this podcast, I'm fucking grounded. Like, <laughs> like she's just like, oh shit, you've consumed right. Like so, there's this terrible stigma that has just been fostered over the years. You probably had it back in the fucking 30s with alcohol. Like damn it, you're drinking under the table. And so what's what are the challenges people aren't thinking of, and how how are you getting into maybe the moms of the world that like can enjoy because like wine. When you guys talk about wine that's so important because I think if people can consume cannabis the way they consume wine You've won so I, I know you have some ideas on how you're doing that you're implementing some right now I'm just curious where you're going with it
3: So I think the largest challenge from a marketing perspective is finding someone who's going to evangelize about your product for you. There's still a lot of stigma that, you know, someone like Derek and I, I talk very openly about cannabis. I'm open about it with my parents, although I was nervous to tell them we were going into this industry. (laughs) I am from Nebraska, very conservative place, even though, you know, my parents are Cool and open minded. They actually will smoke with us. Um, uh, you just but ratted them out. Kids, <laughs> sorry. It's only to
1: a national audience. So <laughs> I don't like that. Okay. Can we clip this? <laughs> yeah. Only everyone's going to hear. <laughs>
3: Um, you know, but there are still a lot of people who just don't want to talk about it with their friends. They're hesitant if they are parents, they don't want to be judged. And I can say I am even a little cautious of how we deal with this. We have kids at, at school. That's my one place that I feel a little nervous in the other parents, you know, because I never want anything that we do to reflect on my kids and have them suffer for it. Um, so you know, that's that's one challenge that I think we have is just You see so many influencers and people sharing products on Instagram, but we face this challenge of not everyone is comfortable doing that, even though there are tons of people who are using this on the side. So my approach has really been to build out the lifestyle brand, make it feel comfortable, make it feel relatable. Our strategy with social media, with all of the imagery that we use, is anything that you would see on a blog or any mainstream company's website and we've gotten a lot of really good feedback in the last few weeks i rolled out the instagram strategy really only three to four weeks ago and um, it's been very well received and i think it's very helpful for people to just see this as a normal part of life and it slowly changes their mind You're, you're normal
0: normalizing it at the end of the day right and because a lot of the consumers that are coming back into the marketplace with recreational legalization are your baby boomers and those are the baby boomers that smoked the devil's lettuce back in the day where it was 3% THC ditchweed coming from who knows where filled with who knows what. And today it's not that anymore. It's 20, 30, 35% THC. And then when you get into the concentrate side of the equation, 99.9% uh, and the dabs and that type of stuff. So there's a learning curve. but there's a lot of consumers that are extremely interested in this as a social lubricant alternative, but they're afraid to come into a dispensary, right? Because they might have a mental picture of, oh wow, I heard that these nice couple in 2010 got robbed by five people at gunpoint. I'm not going near that place. But the industry is changing and maturing so rapidly. And these facilities across the board are becoming beautiful. And the packaging and designing that we carry on our shelves looks like something out of Hermes to a certain degree. So how do we tell that story to the consumer base? Social media, right? Where's everybody plugged in? To their cell phones. People don't talk to each other anymore. People don't look up while they're walking anymore. They're in their cell phones. So let's make sure in that environment they completely understand that this is normal. Soccer moms driving Range Rovers hanging out at you know PTA meetings in Orange County are doing this. They're vaping, they're drinking the champagne, whatever it happens to be. That's the message that we're trying to get across. I'm not going to be able to do that, but people like Amy for multiple companies are building those strategies and developing that content. And that's what's making it relatable. And that's and what I education. like about your your
2: Instagram page now is popping. It Thank looks you. cool because it's it's not just a, a bunch of dudes dabbing. Like there's yeah. a, there's like no one actually consuming like fucking smoke pillars of weed on your page. It's like almost looks like as if Revolve Clothing tried to get into yeah. Uh, Cannabis like that's that's what I'm getting and your stores really complement what you just saw there Like I took my girlfriend the other day to the bloom here in Santa Ana I know that's not even your flagship kind of store yep. either, but she walked in she was so like she had to go with me She was like, I'm never going to go by myself. Kind of, Jeff, you you had some of the same like, kind of, I don't know if you had reservations, but she's like, can you go with me? I was like, absolutely, let's go. Because I'd been there before, and I knew in the waiting room, in the lobby, there's just two bubbly people that look like you and I. They're like young and hip and whatever, and they're like, yeah, what can can we do for you? Check in, cool. Boom, 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 check your ID, do all the legal stuff. And we walk in, it's super comfortable, glass cases, cool. Kind of looks like a little Apple store. And so I think that is beginning stages of trying to break down the barriers. I'm curious why it's taking so long for us to figure out tolerance levels for people consuming weed. Because even to this day, last night I thought I took just enough for me and I went to go play basketball and got fucking faded. I took a, I took a sip of this really delicious stuff I'm trying at home um, if anyone's interested you can email me and I'll tell you what it is and anyways I take it and I'm like this is just enough I think I took about 15 milligrams I walk to my basketball court shooting by myself I'm like I can get a workout in by myself no one's gonna bother me these people are playing three on three on the other side and I'm in my head I'm starting to kick in and get a little high right I'm like please don't please talk don't to talk, me. talk to me please don't invite <laughs> please me to, don't invite me to a you. full court
1: game yeah. <laughs> yeah. where I'm <laughs> no. gonna have to guard somebody and take <laughs> passes and shoot shots <laughs> and be judged for whatever I'm going to be doing on my own athletic, inhibited athletic ability. <laughs> so I have my
2: head buds in, I'm shooting by myself and all my worst nightmare comes true. I hear a kid screaming through and he was like, hey bud, you trying to run full? <laughs> my heart sinks because I could barely feel my arms at this point. I feel great, but long story short, we won. We did great in that. I didn't get hurt. I don't recommend play- <laughs> going to crazy physical activity on weed. But to this day, there's no yet good way to judge how much to consume. And I think, I'm so curious why it's taking so long. In the alcohol industry right now, even someone new to drinking can quickly find their tolerance. They can quickly understand, yeah, I can have two beers at a bar, wait three hours, go home drive, I'm fine. I know that two shots equals this amount of drunk. I know what cocktails feel like. Where are we in cannabis? Because I think that's extremely important in normalizing it.
0: Let, let, let me let me talk about um, I I feel like you can learn it in the same way. But the problem is, is nobody's coming up with a rating system. Or, and I, I'd mm. like you to talk sure. about that a little bit. But the reality is this is it's not that much different. You know, consuming cannabis when you're smoking, vaping, you can really quickly understand, you know, how many puffs of what, you know, take you to get to, to, to a certain level. One of the biggest problems has been consistency and batch consistency. And the mm-hmm. regulation, one positive thing that it's providing is batch consistency. So a lot of that will get normalized. Where there's a difference is in the edibles and consumables. And the real, the reason behind that is the science is just different at the end of the day. You're ingesting it. It's getting passed through the liver. It's turning into um, um, uh, 11, 11 hydro uh, THC. Hydroxy THC which is way I guess it's a way more potent version of THC the way your body processes it and it's different for everybody It'll affect me different one night to the next because my metabolism may be different at that time of day versus earlier in the day and that type of thing So it's very metabolistic based and, and that's you know Will cause some shift and variances in terms of what your experience is from one day to, to the next And there isn't necessarily a way to normalize that to a certain degree. But those deltas and those deviations aren't drastic. What the problem is, is people have a hard time remembering, I ate a gummy, Mm. okay, and then I ate another gummy. But that gummy was 0.25 or 0.65, that other gummy was 10. So there needs to be easier rating systems. and I know that's something that Amy's been working on is a system where people can go, wow, I know I want a one or a three or a five. And it just takes the guesswork out of it at the end of the day. And that's really what we need to do is we need to demystify coupled with informing.
3: Education is a really key component To our marketing strategy, and to your point at the very beginning, saying you know I've I've tried this maybe ten times, and um, you know it sounds like a lot of people are just a little intimidated. When it really struck me when you said I don't know the lingo, things like that, and you know they'll be more comfortable walking into the store when they feel like they're part of it, they're inside. Um, So we're really working on a lot of education. the The number system that Derek was mentioning. Everybody talks about indica versus sativa, and that to me, when I first got into this industry, was the biggest difference from any weed I may have tried in college. I had no idea. There were different strains. There were different types. They do all of these different things to you. So we are working on a system where it's a what's your number campaign, and that really helps people understand the milligrams, the dosing, and making sure that they have a good experience because the largest challenge for us is once we get somebody in the door, if they do this product wrong and have a terrible experience, we could lose them forever. Everyone has a horrible edible story when they didn't know what they were doing. And they'll
0: tell 10 or 15 people. Exactly.
3: So, so we really need to demystify that and bring a ton of education to have people kind of dip their toe in, get a, a good experience from the outset. And so many of these companies are offering microdosing now, which is phenomenal. You can h- take a much smaller dose, and you don't have to stress that I need to guess what piece of this brownie may have. You know, ten milligrams. It may have fifty because sometimes those uh, the THC is suspended in oil. We know oil and water doesn't mix, so it's settled into those edibles or into a beverage in an uneven manner. Um, So working with things that are like our our champagne line where the molecules are evenly distributed throughout the bottle, you know exactly with your dosing cup, I'm getting five milligrams. And once you understand what five milligrams does to your body, for me, I know if I want to be social and stay awake, I'm maxed out at five milligrams. If I want to go to sleep, I take 10 to 15. Um, it just it's it's really education and a little bit of trial and error.
0: And you'll begin to notice the difference between you know ten milligrams on an empty stomach versus ten milligrams sure. when you're star or, or you're full and just eating a big meal and that type of thing. So like she said, it's a lot of little bit of trial and error. But the industry needs to adapt some systems and some nomenclature to this to, to the marketing and advertising so people don't make errors.
1: And, so, and a follow up from from the newbie over here is when when I when I go out drinking, right? There's things people say commonalities related oh i'm a bigger guy i can have six or seven or there might be oh i drink a lot so my tolerance level do you guys see those same types of uh uh, things related to uh cannabis consumption everybody's body
0: chemistry is different and this is a it's a chemical at the end of the day right so you're gonna everybody's gonna process it different you're gonna process it different from day by day but like i said the deviations they're not that drastic at the end of the day. Where people make the big mistakes are uh, biting, you know, the edge of a brownie that happened to be, in, you know, in the old days where they didn't have the regulation around it. Two hundred milligrams. We were talking about that earlier. I mean, there's stuff with you know multi-hundred milligram you know doses. So if you had something that was about the size of a tic tac, you're in big trouble. Uh, for most people anyway so a lot of it is just again education it's demystifying it's you know allowing people to have an opportunity to learn about the product and that's the beauty of the retail dispensary and again why it's so important if it was open to online distribution on an amazon type model there'd be a lot more people making mistakes So now they have the chance to come in and talk to a bud tender and get some education at the same time they're actually procuring their product
3: and one nice thing with the regulation is they have set a standard that To take the guesswork out of it, everything is in small pieces, and the pieces are evenly dosed. So some of the things I brought today, you know, if you look inside this can, they're chocolate-covered blueberries. Ooh. Each blueberry is five milligrams, so it's not you having to cut a bar and hope that it's correct. <laughs> yep, I'm gonna take some These are delicious. I I could mow the whole can from a flavor profile standpoint. Um, you guys hear that? And we'll so
0: Eli, something like that will probably take, depending on the person, 45 minutes to an hour and change. And that's where edibles and consumables people make a big mistake is they'll wait 20 or 30 minutes and go, I don't feel anything. And, and then, then they'll double it. down or triple down. You know. <laughs> the beverages are a little bit better right and especially if they use like we do an emulsion technology that allows it to get processed through the liver quickly directly into the bloodstream and that type of thing you end up with you know a 10 or 15 minute wait period and then you kind of know where you're at and then you can either dose up you can never dose down my advice you can dose up you can never dose down
2: <laughs> with your uh, i love that find your number campaign is that correct mm-hmm. do you guys have to have really large brands for that campaign to work or because beer tequila those all fluctuate too and people generally can look at the bottle and know an alcohol percentage but a lot of people don't they just do it do bigger brands have to flourish for you guys to be able to use the words like find your number campaign or is there any thought process there or is it just hoping you can educate people when they walk in the store on a one to five or one to four scale i'm curious
3: I think the new regulations are very helpful for us because the state has dictated you can't have more than 10 milligrams in one piece. Mm-hmm. And each piece has to be very clearly separated so that, like I said, there's no cutting, there's no guesswork. And that that in and of itself really helps. Um, with the flower, it'll be a little bit more of a gray area. And, and a lot of that is just because, just like wine, every harvest is unique. It just completely depends on the time of year the growing conditions how much moisture was in the air what nutrients were in the soil have they added nutrients um so it, it that really makes an interesting opportunity to talk about the product but it is inconsistent
0: what you're going to see is you're going to see some brand leaders come out to the marketplace and they're going to put some distance between their competition and that's what we hope with our brands we hope that that can be one of the market leaders out there and if you're one of the market leaders and you set that as kind of the, the, the 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 strategy behind educating people The hope is other people will relate to that and start carrying that message too right so our objective is to build great brand penetration and set the standard and then have other people grab onto that standard and we've seen that in agriculture we've seen that in other industries right now there's just no rule so it's kind of open road for people to define that and if we can get broad consumer adherence to that Then you'll watch other people to start to mimic that to a certain degree. And then over time, you end up with some measure of consistency in the marketplace.
2: What are the challenges then? So if this champagne takes off, say you distribute it in Santa Ana, can you take that same champagne brand and put it in your store in Vegas or... Or is there something weird about that? Like, Can you not do that?
0: Can't cross state lines mm-hmm. right now, uh, which is why we do vertical integration in every market that we're in. So mm. we cultivate, we extract, and we retail dispense in all locations. So for example, even though I'm here in Santa Ana, we're producing this in a giant facility we're building out in Santa Ana right now, I can distribute that from Sacramento to San Diego and everything in between. So. I can cover a huge market, the fifth largest economy in the world, from one location at the end of the day. Um, but for Nevada, for example, I have to rely on my extraction facility and cultivation facility there to produce the same product. The beauty is, is it's SOPs at the end of the day, it's a recipe, it's a food recipe. So I am able to mimic that um, to a pretty close degree in both marketplaces, but it requires redundancies. However, the differences, and Jeff, you were talking about this a little bit earlier, is the marketing rules are different in each location, so I might have to alter some packaging to a certain degree and mm. I lose some economies of scale doing that, so we try to develop our packaging such that it could live in both environments, but my ability to market in California is gonna be different from my ability to market in uh, in Nevada, for example.
2: What are some things people wouldn't even recognize in marketing to, oh, like if a, I, yeah, like it's I'm it's so insanity. curious.
0: It's like... Amy will go over that, it's. Yeah,
3: what is, what it? Well, it looks different? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> We could probably start, ta- start talking about Nevada for this because California is actually fairly flexible with us, and I think we are going to start to see ourselves be on an even playing field with alcohol, which I would be thrilled by. In Nevada, they've taken an extremely conservative stance, which is actually very interesting because our Reno store was nominated for just a local, you know, how we have the best of OC Weekly kind of thing. And I'm going through all the categories, doing my voting for Bloom, and they have a category for best brothel uh so that's, that's fine but we are not allowed to use any slang words for cannabis so we're allowed to say cannabis and marijuana and that's it if it is on urban dictionary this is this is actually what they said if it is on urban dictionary about cannabis you can't say it we in nevada
0: we can't hand out flyers on the strip right We can't hand out flyers for our location on the Strip. That's a pretty low bar with what gets handed out on the Strip. (laughs) You you can human traffic on the Strip, but I can't hand out flyers (laughs) to sell weed. And I can't tell people they're going to get high. It has to be that part of it has to be our
3: surprise. Yeah, our, our advertising <laughs> from an imagery standpoint in Nevada. We can't have anybody touching the product or look as if it's about to be consumed or look as if it was consumed. So if I were to show a picture of a joint, it has to be unlit. It can't be near anybody. Nobody can be holding it. Nobody can be touching it. Nobody can be about to light it and it can't be burnt. So it's really silly when you start to think about no one is buying this product to sit pretty on a shelf it we're not a home goods uh so you know i i, I don't understand the logic and i think I'm, eventually that will break down
0: it, it just ties back to it's the cost of regulation It's the cost of, regulation is the cost of legalization and then what you do is you you have to to a certain degree accept what they give you out of the gate and then what the industry does in all markets is they form coalitions those coalitions then get together and go this doesn't make any sense we bring in lobbyists and we go back to try to get amendments. And, you know, for example, California's got a ton of sweeping amendments that are taking place to the first pass. And you're gonna see all this regulation in multiple jurisdictions around the country get altered and chained as the industry lobbies, which is again, why I like the, the, the factor of the, the alcohol industry coming in at some point in time and using their lobbying energy and, and political capital to kind of affect significant change from a regulatory and taxation standpoint, because the birds are just too significant to really expand the business right now. But they will come down. They will change over time. And
3: I think the municipalities will start to learn from each other. I think everybody tread so lightly in the beginning because they were afraid to make a misstep. But a couple years go by and they start to see this isn't as scary as we thought it was going to be. They'll ease up. They'll look to other markets that have a little bit more of a relaxed policy and be able to actually analyze data, just like we have out of Colorado. They were the first ones to go wreck, correct? Correct. Yep. Yeah. And and at first people were terrified and thought, you know, they're selling drugs to your kids and it's going to cause addiction and all of these things. And none of that happened.
0: The, 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 the social byproducts, the negative social byproducts they thought were going to take place have not only not taken place, it's been the opposite. We've seen a drop in opiate use. We've seen a drop in teen use. We've seen a drop in traffic fatalities. We've seen a drop in crime around the legalization efforts so these storefronts are really developing especially the warehouse side of the equation where we do the cultivation and extraction have lit up and ignited these 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 industrial areas of multiple communities where these places were vacant they were filled with homeless they were filled with crime they were you know back alley activities going on there and now you've seen in colorado and you've seen in the bay area and even oakland where we started off we were in the ghetto in east oakland it was not a great neighborhood we heard gunshots all day long but the the values of the real estate across the board that peripheral economic benefit that's taken place is off the charts in the in these areas
3: and also to to our point as being parents something that i found really interesting from our campaigns that we're creating to destigmatize, we're trying to eliminate the concept of cannabis as a gateway drug because i'm as a cannabis user not going to jump straight to heroin and a big piece of that is if you're buying from an illegal drug dealer or a criminal what a they just want to sell you something they'll say oh i'm out of weed today but i have meth i have pills (laughs) and when you think about how you're not going to walk into a legal liquor store and be able to buy pills or heroin or meth just like you're going to walk into a cannabis dispensary that's all we have and we're highly regulated so our perception of the reason that cannabis has been classified as a gateway drug is really just an access issue
0: Mm -hmm. you know and and i disagree with amy on that i believe Cannabis is a gateway drug. It, to me, it's been a gateway to success. It's been a gateway to pain relief. It's been a gateway to economic impact. It's been a gateway to creating over 300 highly paid jobs. It's been a gateway to eco- economic boom to cities like Santa Ana. So, yeah, it is a gateway drug. I'm embracing that.
4: ours.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I've got a question because you, you mentioned the word perception. And in the food industry, so there's this huge movement toward alternative foods, vegan, um anything that might be plant-based etc and then we have you know uh, a cattleman group in Missouri banning the w- the use and of the word meat in products that don't contain specific animal products from or specific uh, uh, products from the animals themselves right so when we talk about champagne and we talk about wine and we talk about the products that people understand because of a previous category of product that wasn't introduced or that was introduced before widespread cannabis use. Are you guys afraid of an, of the wine industry going, you can't call that wine because this you aren't using grapes, even though this might be a wine beverage or calling it a beer. Is there anything from a perception level that you're thinking about, and if they take that away, does that, is that a huge hindrance to the marketing and viability of those products?
3: I don't think so because I actually feel like that eliminates confusion. We're, we're not a- allowed from a regulation standpoint to combine alcohol and cannabis, and I personally don't think it's a great.
0: In Nevada, you can.
3: Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Confusing. You learn something every day. Um, but you know, we want to be be sure that it's clear to the consumer what they're getting, so that again, going back to what's your number, you know, if you're drinking this beverage, it doesn't have alcohol in it, and I think if we if we're strategic in our marketing efforts by calling it an infused beverage or whatever we end up deciding yep. is is actually a, a positive.
0: It's going to develop its own nomenclature, its own terminology. It already is. There's appellations that are starting to get attention. I think there's appellations that are going to start to have global kind of, you know, desire and, and branded adhesion and that type of thing. So I, I don't, to me, there doesn't need to be a direct correlation, right? I can say, you know, infused cider, infused lemonade. I mean, people get that at the end of the day, but through the creative marketing and the digital media and you know podcasts like here where we're educating I don't know how many people right now people are going to begin to learn and the you know thank god for the internet and thank god for social media right because the 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 ability to disseminate information in a quick and efficient manner through touch feel sight and sound is unlike any medium we've had over the last several decades so that's going to speed up the process significantly and
3: you had mentioned comparing our social media to revolve some of those companies have built their brands exclusively via social media. It gives the everyday person this platform to talk about their experiences. And that, to me, is only going to be helpful for us from a marketing standpoint, because the more we can talk about it, the more it's demystified, the more you feel comfortable walking into the store. You know what questions to ask because you've been educated. You know where to start with dosing to learn your number All of that, I think, is just a positive snowball effect once it gets rolling.
1: Yeah, and and I understand a lot of the marketing side, uh, even though it's (laughs) extremely limited or nuanced. Like, building a lifestyle brand is definitely something I understand. What I don't understand is in relation to uh, building a product, testing it, going through regulation, and putting it on a shelf. And that's something that you guys are definitely doing because the context that we have is we have... Uh, a major CPG company based in the Midwest that spends three to five years on R and D on a product, and then goes to their their underwriters and figures out what the liabilities are in relation to the packaging or this new ingredient, and et cetera, et cetera. Right? What's that process like when you guys are building? the sparkling beverage what regulations do you have to jump through and then when do you guys deem it safe to be put on a shelf because that process to me from ideation of a product into putting it into retail stores that's kind of my biggest question marks uh since you guys have well explained the marketing
0: let's let's take um let's take our beverage line for example right let's take a singular product within the beverage line the margarita mix so Mm. imagine an infused margarita mix right with no i love tequila it's the one alcohol i do like Um, For all practical purposes, but imagine an infused margarita mix. So to get those cannabinoids, we have to cultivate, right? We've got to produce the raw flour. Once we produce the raw flour, that raw flour gets tested to make absolutely certain there's no contaminants, no molds, no aflatoxins, no pesticides, no residual harmful things in it. Once that's cleared, we then convert that through an extraction process, whether it's util- utilization of CO2 or or some sort of volatile extraction process with hexane or propane or whatnot, So, which is the same thing the pharmaceutical use, industry uses to extract chemicals out of plant material for pharmaceutical drugs. So same process there. So now we have those cannabinoids isolated, the CBNs, the CBDs, the THCs, et cetera, and so forth. Those are now put into an emulsion technology, that emulsion technology is is a, basically a technology that allows the cannabinoids to get into the beverage without separation, without be- odor, without taste and that type of thing. So now we work with food scientists to a certain degree and say, okay, let's start to develop flavor profiles the same thing, same way any beverage company would do. So the, you know, the group that we're working with actually has somebody that's done flavor development for Starbucks. And so these people that have worked in the traditional food and beverage world are now applying these technologies and strategies in our world. So we go through our normal regulatory hurdle of making sure the product is compliant and produced and processed and distributed to market under the state's rules and regulations as well as the layered municipal rules and regulations but we use the same type of people that are developing products for you know traditional industry at the end of the day so we're ultimately trying to find something that's palatable and that has efficacy and then somebody like amy is making sure that people understand what that product is why it's better you know why you want to drink it how it makes you you know better than everybody else which is everybody's objective when they're developing a lifestyle
3: brand i think you brought up a really key component by by likening the flavor profile, you know, this person having worked for Starbucks. There's a very unique opportunity for people who are experts in these fields from traditional business to come into our industry and really influence how things are done. Because prior to people feeling comfortable, a lot of those best-in-their-field experts would be hesitant to touch this. They don't They don't want the connotation. They wouldn't want the risk to their career. And I think that that's really starting to open up and gives people a lot of opportunity from a jobs creation standpoint to do something really interesting and unique. And I think that that's so fun and challenging, like my background being in a creative field I love the challenge of learning something new and getting to pave an industry. So you know, the best in their fields have. You don't
0: have these opportunities very often, right? Yeah. We had the prohibition, right? We had the advent of the printing press. We had the invention of the internet, right? So you know, and though what develops from that base core opportunity is a billion different things. We're going to see say, the same thing in the league, you know when when the, when this is demystified and the regulatory burdens and hurdles are gone. We're going to see so many applications for the cannabinoids and they're going to be from the medical side to the recreational side and everything in between. I mean, there's topicals again, so many different food items that are now being emulsified with cannabinoids for distribution. So food and cannabis and top of beverage, I think are going to be some of the biggest bedfellows on a go forward basis.
1: What are you guys seeing right now in that industry that you guys really like the innovation could be your products could be others. What are you seeing that? Uh, is, is really innovating in the space.
3: I think everybody's favorite is this <laughs> tiny little bottle. For those of you who are listening, it looks like a perfume sample. It is the THC molecule suspended in water. How many ounces? 0.08 ounces. So you can put this in any beverage, slip it in your pocket, take it to the bar with you, and all of a sudden whatever flavor beverage you want is... Instantly infused without altering the flavor and it's customizable. I would be maxed out at a 10 milligram drink But there are people who want 50 milligrams They can put five and customize their dosage. I don't
0: drink often and I I obviously like to go out to dinners and stuff like that So I'll take these with me and I'll drop them in you know a sparkling water with lime or a cranberry juice or something like that 15 minutes goes by you got your fun feeling social lubricant side. I don't have the headache I don't have the toxicity of the alcohol in my system. So to me you know these are beautiful because they're portable, and you can again combine them with almost everything. They're odorless and flavorless.
2: You guys, that emulsion process that Derek was talking about earlier is f- pretty fucking game changing. Cause like for me, I, I I'm a personal fan. Like of from these a consistency minis. level, from right? a consistency level, cause I just take this and it goes into your stream way faster. But it also leaves, I feel, as fast. Like normally in the past when I'd have an edible, it would just sit, man. Now my whole day is edible focused as opposed to, I want like, an hour or two It's Wednesday at six
1: o'clock. Yeah,
2: like we we talked about that like champagne kind of meeting, the cocktail meeting that you have in business where it happens over a martini or two. And you know that generally after that martini or two, you go back to work, figure shit out. Uh, (laughs) You can't do that with weed before something like this, I imagine, because like this kind of goes into your system, lingers maybe an hour or two, and then it's out. And the beauty is if I
0: know 10 milligrams is kind of my max and I don't want to have one drink, I'll pour this out in four or five different drinks over the course of the night. Mm. And then I have, you know, staying power with everybody else. I'm able to hang out for a few hours. I know I'm not going to be completely in outer space, <laughs> you know, having consumed four or five drinks. So it's customizable. And we say Amy may do something with this with a marketing standpoint, but I love to call it BYOC. It's bring your own cannabis, right? <laughs> I, 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 not that I have ever done this if the federal government is listening. <laughs> but, you know, this would be something certainly that would be great for long plane flights.
2: Well, (laughs) that—that see, this is my next question because that brings up a really interesting point. What we're talking about right now isn't legal, to my understanding. Like taking this to a bar right now, or what I do, and like consuming it kind of in public or whatever it may be. What do we see as the future here in the states of consuming outside, not indoors? Right now, the regular, like I'm supposed to be smoking at home by myself are there gonna be restaurants? Are there gonna be, can we look to what's happening in Europe, Amsterdam, like there's coffee shops, whatever that may be. What can we expect here? Are you guys interested in being a part of that? Yeah. What's I think going that on? that's.
3: I think that that's why these products are so appealing to us is that smoking, in general, it has a bit of a stigma around it. Cigarettes, I don't know anyone who smokes cigarettes anymore. So I think that this is really the future of that. And it eliminates the the smell, the odor, the things that really concern people about having a lounge and not wanting that around. So I think that these products will end up in those kinds of spaces. I would imagine they'll be segregated for a while and eventually be able to be opened up in all different. And ne-
0: Nevada's talking about social lounges. We just applied in West Hollywood for a social consumption wow. lounge. So municipalities are starting to wrap their heads around creating a safe environment. And again, these can be amazing environments in certain jurisdictions where the regulation allows for it to have food and you know cannabis pairings to certain degrees and that type of thing. But that's why I think the consumables, the edible side of the equation, to me, is going to be the gr- biggest growth position over over the next several years. And that's the reason why Constellation Brands and companies like that have dumped billions of dollars into the space is because they know the beverage side of the equation through their existing distribution footprints where the future's gonna be.
2: I'm oh, sorry, I'm sorry, I was just gonna talk, because you're talking right. about food. People at home need to know, <laughs> if you, if, if, for those of you who have smoked or consumed cannabis and then eaten food, sensory-wise, that food becomes incredible. Like last night when I took that, got home after basketball, sweaty, showered, and I just started digging. I was picking up Trader Joe's frozen food oh my from God. my from my uh, pantry, and then heating that up. Now the chickpeas and the masala take on a body, an image of something else. It's great. Like I feel in tune with the food, and then I crack open peanut butter, put that in between a pita, slice some strawberries. The strawberry, I can go to the farm with it. Like. The experience around this shit is incredible. And I, I can hear people at home like, well, how fun is a pot lounge if like if, if they open that up in California, there's a bunch of people that are just like sad and soppy and just smoking, not talking. If you go into these coffee shops in Amsterdam, it's popping. Yep. like it's cracking. It's not a bunch of people sitting fat and sloppy, like just not listening to each other like they're talking. They're, it's it's vibrant. Again, you're not. You don't. Just because you're at a lounge doesn't mean you have to be obliterated off of your
0: mind. And ca- cannabis a, does an interesting thing to you from a social lubricant standpoint. I mean, we can all admit alcohol sometimes not the best judgment, we've had a few too many drinks, but it can bring out aggression as a byproduct. I think that's a fair thing to say. Mm-hmm. Cannabis is the opposite, right? It brings up community and it puts people together, It gets people, Amy jokes with me because she likes to pontificate, pontificate. at nine <laughs> o'clock at night while the TV's on, I'm in the middle of my show, but you know, it, it makes people social at the end of the day, which is why people need places to come together you know I don't know if you read you know one of the recent articles we 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 bought a three acre parcel in Santa Ana that we're building a fully vertically integrated facility there it's gonna have cultivation extraction as well as retail facility Uh, There's you know somebody's putting a coffee shop on in in, you know in 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 the adjacent uh, suites there but it's on a three acre parcel so we're going to be working with the city to develop a festival arena so people have a chance to come and do cannabis infused movie nights, concerts, gaming, you name it. We want that to be kind of an epicenter for cannabis events because there just isn't anywhere for people to congregate right now. That will change over time but it's such a social product and especially when you add in and layer in food around it, they're great bedfellows. at the end of the day. One of my favorite things to do is what I call Uh, Trader Joe's snack parfait so I'll take a very large cup and I will layer it with every great snack out of Trader Joe's up to the top so it's this wonderful food experience on the way down and then I have a little bit of regret when I get to the bottom of it but I I, I deal with that regret by going to eat some more snacks so I I work my way through it on a daily basis.
3: I've been talking to a lot of cannabis chefs lately because we are really looking to get into this food and beverage angle and when you mention a sensory experience there are people doing these Cannabis dinners where you don't even have to consume. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a cannabis user to enjoy the sensory experience and and learn from it. So one chef I spoke to does these terpene pairings where she makes these foods and they are specifically designed around the smell of the terpenes in the cannabis. So you taste your food, then you sniff your little jar, pass the jar around, everybody smells the cannabis, and then you taste the food and it changes the flavor profile of the food. So for me, that's highly appealing because if I were to sit there and eat an entire infused dinner, I'd be asleep by the end of it. I love the option of experiencing cannabis with my food and just completely as a sensory experience.
0: And I think you end up seeing things a lot like um uh what you see in Napa at the at the vineyards, right? You have these amazing facilities that are beautiful. People want to walk through them. One of the things we're building at our Santa Ana facility is a corridor which is basically a door you get to walk through and you get to walk through the entire life cycle of cult, of, of creating products so hmm. window number one is veg window number two is flour window number three is extraction window number four is bottling and then it ends into a tasting room so you're going to see this industry begin to develop again a lot like what you see at the, the wineries and alcohol industries and that's again ultimately what's going to demystify things for people socialize the product and bring education to consumers okay now very
2: very safely tell me where you guys put your cash. Well.
4: <laughs> <laughs> this, is, so, this
2: is kind of off topic, but it's not. We're just going back to the beginning a little bit because you guys are a publicly traded company. Everyone always has the question like, where is the cash? You guys don't have to tell me specifically, but where are the challenges in I'm one, why go public in a, such a federally regulated country as ours and like, Are there pros and cons that you can understand? And then, like, at the end of the day, you're talking about like armored trucks and so forth. Like, how do you, how are you a publicly traded company selling weed? I think that's just, I'm just so curious. (laughs) I think people,
1: especially (laughs) here, right? Because, I mean, with the companies that are going public in Canada, that's a different, it's just a different equation. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so, I think it's interesting the type of exchange, the type of economics, and the relation to the, uh, daily operations. Of like, your do you use Square
2: at the it, store? I, yeah. Where does the money? Does, yeah. it go <laughs> does it go to a bank? It doesn't go to a bank. Where I'll, is it
0: going? I'll run you through that. I mean, to, first and foremost, to go public was just me having a desire to combine my public markets investment banking experience with what I was doing now as an opportunity to raise the uh, the the capital okay. that I needed to raise to build the business out. I had no idea whether it would work or not. Right. So we literally w- took the company public with zero idea of how the SEC was going to react to the process. Fortunately, the SEC's stance was this isn't what we opine on. That's for the Department of Justice, the FBI, the DA, whoever. What we opine on is to make sure disclosure thresholds are met and people are being you know, disclosed at the potential risk. So if you read our filings, for example, it's we could get shut down. They could take all our money. They could close our businesses. They could end everything. We could wake up tomorrow and be out of business. And uh, you know, that, that creates some risk and concern, which is why you see the valuations in Canada. As, you know, There's companies like Tilray that are doing the same exact revenue that we're doing that are worth 4.8 billion dollars. Sure. We're worth about 150 to 200 million depending on the day. That gives you a kind of an idea of the of the of the paradigm between the Canadian market and our market here. So I didn't know what the SEC was gonna do. And a part of it was just being young and naive and aggressive. So we went in and somehow it worked and we were the first publicly traded plant touching company in the country. And we're the first company in history that's public doing something federally illegal. I don't know if my mom's proud of that or not, <laughs> but I am. But we are. So, And you know, we use, that, we use that medium to raise over 115 million bucks and we've used that money to build out our infrastructure. This is a very capital intensive industry because we can't locate production and manufacturing facilities China, right, And, and with low wages and low labor. And the beauty of this industry from a regulatory standpoint, from a governmental standpoint, name me another industry that mandates every aspect of the manufacturing cycle all the way through retail sales that's mandated and legislated to be not only in the country, but within these state coffers. I can't think of one so you talk about the economic effect associated with this industry not just job creation not just tax collection but these dollars are being recycled and regurgitated in these local communities multiple times it's what they call the economic multiplier effect you start a business you pay your employees though your employee goes out to the coffee shop next door spends that dollar she goes to the dry cleaner, spends that dollar the propensity of that dollar to stay embedded in these states and these communities is extremely high because the entire process, seed to sale, is mandated to be in there. So the economic impact with our industry from a manufacturing standpoint, standpoint to me is one of the most significant, if not the most significant job creation and economic story that this country's seen.
2: So does the cash just stay in an armored truck <laughs> oh, <maybe> that, <laughs> going going to to that floats <laughs> in between stores and never stops? I'm just like, uh, so You again, you. You, you file for a public yep. company, yep. You, you receive $150 million in, co- making it sound super easy, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> but like where, the, like you have stores across multiple yes. states and I know, how, if it was an Apple store, someone rings the credit card at the store and the money goes to a bank account and it sits and yep. then you guys can distribute that at the end of the month or every two weeks to your employees and pay off vendors and yep. so forth. Where's that armor truck? <laughs> so, so
0: that's good. That, that, that industry is starting to develop right now, right? The infrastructure is beginning to get legitimized and develop. And there are some banking institutions that are willing to take industry people at this point in time. Oh. They're very selective about it. One of the competitive advantages that we have is we're public, which means we're fully audited on, a, on an annual basis. We do quarterly reviews. We have to you know, meet those thresholds that the Security and Exchange Commission does for for publicly traded companies, as well as the, the OTCQX, which we, which we trade on. But the reality is, is it's got a lot of you know room to grow, and and fortunately we have banking for all practical purposes. But mm. um, we can't always put all of our deposit bases in the bank, so we do have to at each location we do hold cash, but we do bring that cash immediately and as quickly as possible to the banking institution, so we don't have as much there. But again, if you look at our facilities, we have armed security guards, sure. we have cameras covering every inch. Yeah, we don't think of
2: anything, guys. <laughs> buttons.
0: Chuck Norris is uh, circulating all of our stores. Yeah, so. saw Liam Neeson's route. Like Liam Neeson has a special set of skills. We've hired him. But it's a burden. There's a funny video that we have of us making our Board of Equalization payment several years ago where we showed up with a quarter of a million dollars and wrinkled up five and $20 bills, and we had to pass that through security, and we showed up with it, and they didn't know what to do with it. So... This cash handling burden isn't just systemic to the industry, it's getting passed up up to the tax collecting authorities, right? They can't collect their taxes if we can't give them payment. And that's legally that's legal tender at the end of the day. So they're kind of forced to take it for all practical purposes. And now that problem becomes theirs. Mm. So there's a lot of movement in banking regulations right now. But I don't think we see much change till after 2020. But there's an astronomical amount of cash. There's a huge expense associated with the cash handling. And there's a huge risk for the employees and the vendors and everybody that's dealing in this cash-based industry. And I would think these municipalities want to collect their taxes. And when everything's happening in cash, there's no audit point for them to determine how much they revenue they really, truly did do. So I think they're losing out on a tremendous amount of tax collection. Did they answer my question?
2: Derek had a <laughs> lot of bars this episode. Yo, you had a... There's, <laughs> both of you guys, I'm so... I learned a lot. There's a, I learned a lot. There's a lot. Check out a Bloom store if you guys have one in the area. It does look like an Apple store, like a little Apple-Starbucks hybrid. You did you a great job. I think that's key in making people feel comfortable, feel comfortable going to these places. Um, you guys are in NorCal, SoCal, Nevada, is that right? Yeah, we're all over
0: Nevada, Reno, Las Vegas, uh, we are uh, Oakland, we're opening one up in uh, about a month in San Leandro, just south of Oakland, and we just want a bunch of permits in Santa Ana, so we're going to be opening up a bunch more stores throughout the Santa Ana marketplace, as well as that mega cannabis mega complex.
2: Can- that's huge news that I think, have you, you guys said there's one article about it, but now you heard it here first, there's a huge cannabis megaplex coming to Santa Ana to Orange County. Sick!
4: Yeah, it just reminds me of esports.
1: It just reminds me of the investment that's going, that went, and is continuing to go towards esports to capitalize on uh, a wave of pop culture that we've never seen.
0: And you know what makes esports more fun?
2: (laughs) If you're (laughs) twenty one plus. Well, thank you both so much yeah, for coming. Thanks for coming. Really thank appreciate you, for you guys. Having us. Oh, thank you for the
0: form, guys. In all honesty, it's 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 access like this that helps change the paradigm, right? We're trying to get rid of that old reefer madness mentality and that there's still a lot of, you know, connotation that's associated with the devil's lettuce and that type of thing. And it's gonna take time to move past that. But again, the proliferation of guys and sites like your company, you get a huge opportunity for us to get the message out there. So we appreciate it.
2: Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Thank you guys. Bye.